right, I'm here with Bill Makitas, the former Slack CMO and the CMO for Zendesk. Bill, great to have you here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Was it actually, I wanted to ask you, was it actually true that you paid that $50,000 for that animal ad for Slack? No. So the story goes that we it, we were concurrently producing a, a series of ads for the Amazing Teams uh, campaign as part of Slack. And one of them, uh, we made two, two ads. Uh, one of them cost about a million dollars and the other one cost about $50,000. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The animals, the one you referenced, was a lot of AI and, uh, you know, digital right. rendering. And, and that was the, the higher price tag. Um, but there was a much cheaper price tag and I only for the other one. And I only just bring that up because sometimes you look at both ads, you wouldn't be completely convinced on which one was the more expensive one. And so, you know, you gotta, gotta look at all the agencies you work with and the, you know, post-production effects that you go with. It was such a fantastic one. I, I love the animals one. The black and white was okay, but you know, I think it, the one that with an animals just evoked so much more emotions and it was just so clever, cleverly done. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was really, really good. But I mean, it goes back to the point you made. I think I've heard one of the interviews you did. You said when you, if you're a startup, a lot of startups would underprice themselves. And if you actually price yourself higher, then their, your perceived value goes up. So I think that's what agencies are trying to do. I think they're, they're very wise with that too. We get, because a lot of startups, when you start working with the agencies, you're not sure like, you know, exactly how they work or, you know, everything that goes into it. And, you know, there are some agencies that cost, you know, seven figures. There are some that cost five figures. And, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you just got to find one that, that fits well for you. <clears throat> Absolutely. That, that was another ad that stood out to me, the one you did with Zendesk and somebody did it over the weekend, almost like in-house for like a couple thousand dollars. That was really, really well done. Are, have you tried like doing more of these or was it just more like one-offs? You know, I think a lot of it just comes down to, at least in my experience, the team that you have. So when we were at Zendesk, um, we had an incredible video team. There, was a, there were a couple guys there that were just fantastic doing video. And so pretty much, all the in-house videos we did from like our, our, our demos to our outbound advertising, we did with this team um, and they were fantastic. And when I went over to Slack, we were growing so fast that we just didn't have that many design resources and the design resources we had always got put on the product that was kind of first priority. So in that case, we had to use a lot more outside agencies, but I, I think both can be really successful. You uh, you spoke about using this B2C examples uh, or using a B2C playbook in B2B where, you know, you end up unfortunately locked into this boring, I know you've been in Salesforce, but I'm going to say boring Salesforce, Salesforce style <laughs> <laughs> playbook. <laughs> but, but what are some of the examples have you seen great success uh, at or tr like merging B2C and B2B? You know, I, so I spent the first half of my career in B2C. Um, and I think, you know, when I made the move over to B2B, I was a little shocked because I'm like, wow, B2B feels like it's coming from a 30-year-old dusty playbook. It's centered around like press releases and analyst relations and top-down selling and all the brands are pretty boring and sterile. Right. And I just think like, you know, you can be inspired by B2C because B2C, it's, it's, you know, it's consumers. You have to develop these really vibrant brands that have emotion that you have a connection with them. You have to use super advanced like targeting and attribution technology to understand if what you're spending is working or not. Um, and so I just tried to, you know, bring the best of those when I came to B2B. And I, I still think there's a ton of opportunity. If you're in B2B SaaS, um, 
you have so much opportunity to differentiate because nine out of 10 companies are boring, sterile, bland. And, 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 and I say that too, not meaning just like the corporate website, which I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's our brand. That, like to me, it's like, no, the brand right. is your product. Like when you actually go into your SaaS app, you know, mm-hmm. is it a white background with black text and is everything okay next except cancel? You know, because nine or 10 times that's written by developers and there's just no opportunity to infuse some personality or emotion into it. I mean, I think it kind of explains in a way that a lot of companies are going pretty hard trying to hide the product until there's this, uh, they're a little bit deeper into the conversation. Uh, <laughs> and like you, you try to see the demo, they even tell you there's a demo, but actually there isn't. It's more like yeah. the anim- animated, animated this weird video. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm a big believer in uh, Net Promoter Score or NPS. And, you know, I saw a stat a while back and it was like the average B2B software score is a minus 19. <laughs> it just shows you like <laughs> how much opportunity there still is to, you know, create better products with more motion and simple and easier to understand. So yeah, there's a ton of opportunity out there. Absolutely. And tell me about where the idea came from to create that crazy Zendesk alternative video, because that was, that's <laughs> epic. That is, I think I would probably put it as number one as the most, the coolest marketing <laughs> ever produced. Thank you. It's very kind. Uh, so yeah, so the quick story there is I, I used to do a ton of SEO when I was going up through my marketing career, so search engine optimization. And, you know, what you find out pretty quickly as you go through all the search terms is a very common search term is your brand name plus alternative. So Salesforce alternative, Zendesk alternative. And people are basically just looking like, hey, what else is out there? And so we just did over a weekend. It was really fun. We were like, you know, what about this idea where we created a band called the Zendesk Alternative? And it was all about their backstory. And it was like this five-minute video. You know, it was all shot in-house. Um, it's pretty, actually, and to say, this is like seven years ago. If you still search on Zendesk Alternative, it's usually the number one or number two organic list that shows up. So for those like listening on the pod, you know, when you get back, just do a quick search and you can see the video we're referring to. It's really badass. It's, it's, it's very, very well done. It, it just, I think it's where like it crosses the boundary that 99.99 B2B <laughs> companies would not do. Like they just won't. I just, you know, I mean, I, I come from the school of thought that, you know, at the end of the day, even in B2B, you're dealing with people, right? And, and people love brands. And when you can create an emotional connection to them, it just helps differentiate you. It, it helps you be remembered. You know, you end up getting bigger deal sizes, lower churn, um, you know, and I think there's this historical resistance as you move up market, like, oh, we're in the enterprise, like, oh, we got to all wear suits and ties and we have to be really boring. But I, I just haven't found that to be the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting, like that. I, I think I've heard a lot of marketers and, and a lot of marketing leaders, they would they would have a hard time justifying spending the money on something like that that type of entertainment, that type of thing that, oh, it doesn't really directly contribute to our funnel, uh, then let's not do that. Like, I, and you're coming from a different perspective on that. Well, look, I, I get it, right? I mean, VCs give these startups and these companies capital and they're there to deploy it efficiently. And and I think, at least for me, like I had a background as well on kind of the, the quantitative side and the attribution modeling side. And so a lot of what I did is like, hey, let's just not measure all the funnel metrics, which 90% of B2B companies, that's all they care about is how many leads you bring in. I was like, hey, let's measure the funnel metrics plus let's measure the brand metrics. Let's measure aided recall and unaided recall and sentiment, sure voice, sure conversation. Um, you know, let's measure experience metrics. Let's measure NPS, let's measure CSAT. 
And so, you know, we got it. And this was like the case of Slack to where we could run a, um, a big campaign and we could see exactly how many points of awareness lift did it give us? What was the impact on sentiment? Um, and also what was the impact of funnel, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think when you can get it down to that level, you give confidence to the rest of the executive staff, the CEO, the board, and it's much easier to make these investments into these longer term campaigns. And, or another way I put it is like, look, you know, demand gen is essentially short-term leads. And when you build a brand, it's long-term leads. It's still in your interest to build these brands, but you do have to have a little foresight and you have to be able to measure it and you have to have a little more of a longer-term uh, outlook on it. There's definitely that obsession with uh, performance performance uh, marketing yeah. and, and MQLs, which is, uh, which is, I mean, it's okay, but then I think it's that treadmill that never stops, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, I, I found, I mean, just like you mentioned at the beginning of the call, it's, it's actually a pretty bad buying experience, right? Because a lot of times, like, if, if marketing is only metriced on MQLs or leads, you know, whatever it is, they're kind of incentivized to gate every single piece of content. Mm -hmm. They're incentivized if you land on the homepage and you want to click on a video, a demo of what you do, you have to fill out all this information. And, you know, the B2B buyer's journey, it's, it, it's long. It's, you know, three, 30, 60, 90 days, depending on, you know, which segment you're in. And people are learning about your brand. And, you know, I've always been like, the brand is the sum of every single interaction you have with a company. And so if you have all these negative touch points, like, oh, you have to fill out this form and then sales just harasses you before you're ready. <laughs> you know, you finally buy it. And I always say like, everyone runs away and you get assigned like one, one thousandth of a customer <laughs> success person. You know, support is like four links deep on the site. You can't even find it. It's a two week response. And, like they, we're just polluting the, the journey with all these horrible experiences. And we're like, oh, and by the way, we go recommend us to 20 people, right? Um, so I, I do think like marketing am amongst all the teams, you really do have to think about that journey and that experience. And by layering in some of these other awareness metrics or even experience metrics, I think you can get a, a much more blended approach. That's so true. Uh, what you described, it might seem like a joke, but it's, I, I, it's seen, sad, right? <laughs> I've seen, I've seen real companies that operate exactly like you described. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tough world out there. You had a tremendous success with the Slack podcast, like millions in downloads. I think it was 8 million at one point yeah. downloads. What did you do differently that other folks didn't do because a lot of companies started podcasts and even though you started that started a podcast a while ago well, just at the time when it was this thing it was taken off you you definitely did something a little bit better and it was way more customer centric what were what's something that stood out to you that you think contributed to this huge growth um i think you know my experience really with content marketing was kind of going back to like the old B2B boring playbook was most content marketing at that point was, you know, literally 30 page white papers that you would read to go to sleep at night. And I wanted to bring like content marketing that was fun to read and informative and educational. It wasn't just slimy brochureware that, hey, here's 10 reasons to buy us, right? It was actually like mm -hmm. helpful and could educate you and, and was, you know, pushed much higher top of funnel. And so really when we started to think about it, we said, hey, content marketing, it's great for all the written stuff, but really content is, it's, it's audio, it's video, it's the written word. And we just saw in the space, there weren't a lot of people that had invested on the podcast side of the house. And so, although we did do a lot of advertising and podcasts, we wanted to bring a podcast about work and life and the future of work and tell these really like inspirational stories of how people had transformed things or the history of how the cubicle started. Um, you know, in that type of content, I find 
is is helpful it's educational people like listening to it i mean we eventually got it down to i think it was like six cents per listen mm -hmm. and if you think about it um it was costing us sometimes like a dollar to have someone watch like a 30 second video ad whereas it took <laughs> six cents for them to listen to a 30 minute podcast about you know the future work and and slack how it's a part of it um and so i, I think sometimes resisting the temptation to go with the hard sell for the very first thing that someone learns about you, you know, if, if you can play it a little slower, provide some value, make them laugh or smile along the way, I, I think that's a much better buyer's journey approach. Mm -hmm. But you didn't do anything radically different from the <clears throat> interview perspective, from the conversation perspective. It's more, it was just more about, hey, these are really interesting topics. These are really cool guests who have great stories. And by the way, it actually happens to align with Slack. Well, let's go and record that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a simple playbook, but like I said, it's really hard for a lot of companies to operate on that because a lot of times they're like, look, we don't know how to measure this. So we're going to have to make this basically just a giant sales pitch. And it's going to come uh, come across as inauthentic or we don't have the right, like I said, multi-touch attribution modeling or we just, we need, we need sales tomorrow or we have to hit our number for this quarter. So you get pushed away from things that have, I, I think have a positive longer term impact. Mm. Um, but yeah, for us, it was, you know, it was one of many great channels as a way to expose the Slack brand to new audiences and help nurture and educate um, people that were already fans of ours. What do you think, Bill, uh, in terms of when you are, let's say creating content, how far can you get away with going outside of your product in a way that if you're a content, maybe let's say your podcast doesn't specifically directly speak to your product, that's probably okay. But like how far away could you go to say, you know what, this like, this is cool. These are really, really good stories. We have really, really good exposure, but nobody thinks about our product when they consume it. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at that in a vacuum, you're always going to go, look, it's got to be more closer to our product and we need to talk about what our company does and what we sell and why people should buy it. But, you know, essentially when I was at Salesforce, I had to build out our own attribution modeling system. Um, Cause at the time Salesforce was pretty young. We were very resistant on using third-party tech cause we were always afraid that tech would get hacked into and then Salesforce would get hacked into. So right. InfoSec would never let me use any third-party you know, marketing software as much <laughs> as I wanted to. So I'm like, all right, we're going to build it ourselves. And so what I found out was, though, is I started, you know, we started watching and, and tracking all these touch points. And what I found out was that, hey, to become a lead, people didn't see like one ad and sign up. You know, they had 5, 10, 20, 30 touches with you before they would go ahead and become a lead. And then it might be another 30 touches, you mm -hmm. know, across SEO, a PR, a piece of content and events before they would buy from you. And so I think a lot of times when you go to content marketing, again, if you just look at it, a lens is, oh, is this is one touch and they're going to buy from us or not based on this touch. Of course, you're going to go like much more further down funnel. But if you view it as like, hey, this is a journey and this is like maybe the first interaction they're going to have. And we're just going to lightly talk about, you know, what Slack does. But in general, when we're going to talk about these inspirational stories and let people know that, hey, you know, the Slack brand is aligned with the future of work and it's aligned with these really great and incredible transformative stories and how people have progressed throughout their careers or the technologies they've created. I think from that standpoint, you go, look, this is great. And even as Zendus, we created tons of content. I remember the number one mm -hmm. piece of content we had was the top 10 interview questions for customer support agents. Right. Or in that article, did we say, 
oh, you know, you should use Zendesk because we're great with customer support ticketing and we have workflows and routing. We didn't do any of that, right? But we yeah. did at least let them know Zendesk is associated with customer support. And by the way, we had a lot of links to other articles and then read those articles. And eventually they would learn a little bit more Zendesk and see a customer story or see a demo. So I just think you have to have a more holistic viewpoint of, of the journey. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it has to at least somehow align to to the to your to your product but not like yes but it's also like your it, it's it depends on how you look at it like you said right if you're looking at it from one touch then there's just not a it's got to be the yeah, demo no yeah no chance right yeah you know i think another way like from the content perspective it's almost like what emotion do you want attached with your brand right and then what mm -hmm. content is going to help generate that emotion and it's like we wanted you to be inspired and, and passionate um, and maybe laugh a little bit. And, you know, those are all the emotions we wanted to be attached to our brand because it was very antithetical to most B2B brands out there. Absolutely. How do you, do you think we, we're, we're pretty far along with the podcast and everybody's starting a podcast? Everybody has a yeah. podcast. Do you think, like, how do you, how would you differentiate your podcast if you were to start one right now? Or maybe you wouldn't even start a podcast, you'd start something else. Well, to start off, I'm a podcast nerd. I'm a junkie. I, I literally have like 100 podcasts in my feed. That was mostly the result of long commutes throughout my uh, history. Although I, I don't have that excuse now. I just, I still I listen to them when I go and watch and everything. But, you know, podcasts to me, I mean, in a weird way, they almost remind me of like when websites first coming out, you know, and, you know, like I used to listen to like AM sports radio, right? And they would have to cover all, like I grew up in Chicago, some Bulls, Bears fan. They'd have to cover like, all four teams and 30 minutes along with 30 minutes of commercials. And now podcast or website comes along, you can get really narrow, right? Like I literally, I have four different podcasts on the Chicago Bears who are three, you know, yay. Um, right. and, and I was literally listening to one like an hour ago before this, but it was such a narrow topic because there's so much range now. So I do think if you are going to go down that podcast route and you want to create your own unique content, you have to be really narrow and specific because there's just so much to choose from now. There's, there's like there's a million websites, you can find whatever you want. You know, you've got to find a podcast that's very relevant to your audience. Um, or again, it's going to have really inspiring uh, educational content that's, that's going to be valuable for your, for your prospects and for your customers. Mm. Uh, what would you say uh, as a listener, Bill, what stands out to you besides the fact you're obviously getting this very narrow content that you want, you probably have a great host, you have, you got to have a good guest and you have decent audio. What, what would something that <laughs> jumps out from you for you? Like, oh my God, I keep coming back to, to this thing. Uh, I think just, you know, uh, you gotta have a great host like yourself. There you go. Um, <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to do the shameless plug, of course. You gotta plug it in, it's all good. Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's just like, you know, when I finish that podcast, it's like, hey, you know, what, what I like to listen to another one, was this helpful? Was this educational? And that's why, again, I, I think B2B marketers, we tend to be horrible in that. We want to just sell and you end up with this, like I said, like this slimy fake brochure where, you know, I think we've all read, you know, you go to like a conference and they hand you the one pager and it's like, hey, we're awesome for 10 reasons, right? And, yeah. and I think a lot of that manifests itself into the podcast sometimes when they make their first one. So customer, can you please tell me why our company is awesome in five different ways? <laughs> <laughs> or they have like these totally awkward questions that they've already That's have so like true. 
responses for. So I just like, I don't know, like make it authentic. Just pretend you're a person, right? Like, would you like this? You know, show it to a family member. Would you like this? Or I remember when we did that Slack Amazing Teams animal ad, I would always show it to just random people I would run into and go like, hey, what do you think? And I'd watch there. Are they smiling? I watched my daughter. I just want to see, was she laughing at any of the jokes? You know, she was right. a big one for getting the sloth in that commercial. Oh, uh, she's yeah. like, you got to have a sloth. And every time the animator was like, we can't do a sloth. That's like, no one does a sloth. And I'm like, come on, I want a sloth. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was fun but you got to have that i don't know you got to just have some fun and, and make sure people are laughing and enjoying it yeah i mean when i saw that first commercial the the animal commercial i didn't really even care about the dialogue like i was sold out i was sold it was it, it was so funny the music it's a very very subtle music the movement the the whole setup as somebody who spent a little bit of time in the office you are instantly connected you, you understand exactly what's going on and you're hooked Thank you. Thank you. No, it, it was a lot of fun. To... Hopefully it stood out and hopefully some other people smiled at it too. What about, Bill, I think you spoke a little bit about in a couple of your last presentations about video marketing and opportunities in video marketing. What do you think that maybe, and are there any folks who are doing really cool work with video marketing right now, either B2B or B2C uh, in, in a way that, that really jumps out? To you. Yeah, I, I think there's a huge opportunity on the video side. So, you know, my current life, I, I do either board member roles or advisor roles for other SaaS startups. And one of the things like I really try to get them to move towards is like, hey, this is the first year where more money was spent on mobile than desktop, like from an advertising perspective. And people live on their mobile phone and there's so much video inventory out there, right? So if you're thinking about campaigns, you need to think like, hey, mobile first, video first and also even the ad formats right you know there's yeah. it, you're, it's much different to make a six second bumper ad on a facebook video than it is like a 30 second traditional you know terrestrial tv type ad um and also you have to you know create these within mind where they're you know, you're, you're seeing subtitles you don't always have audio playing you have to catch people right away you can't fade in um so i just think there's so much opportunity there and especially in the b2b side to be able to do like an abm category to your top 100 prospects in pipeline to have them literally translate that into like a facebook youtube hulu, hulu video ad that helps introduce your company that helps explain who they are that makes them laugh smile so they have that awareness so when sales goes into it they're not like starting from cold um and i think you know there's there's a variety of companies that are, are doing that you know i like i said i think you see more the B2C side, again, that are more experts at it, but I think there's a ton of opportunity for some more leaning edge brands, especially on the B2B side to foray into that. What I've seen, and I'd be <clears throat> curious to hear what, what are your, your thoughts on that is if you, when we look at video, let's say we look at customer marketing and you would have a typical customer marketing interview where you'd have customers speaking and they, they'll show you a little bit of a stock footage, stock B-roll, it would be back to the customer, back to the B-roll, then we'll be back like to the company logo and that's the video. That's a typical video, everybody makes yeah. them the same ones. But what I've seen other folks do is where they, where they actually mix this video with fun facts about the the customer or yeah. maybe they show something a bit of a, like a behind the, the closed doors of the customer uh and maybe some interesting facts about their their company and that more that looks that you you actually see it as more as a documentary instead of just yeah. oh it's just like an ad um and it's interesting how companies starting to slowly move to that direction definitely yeah i mean i think like I, said, there, I think there's a modern playbook that just doesn't take what we did five or 10 years ago and that you're just constantly innovating. I, I think 
especially in SaaS, there's so much innovation uh, from a software standpoint. Like you have to innovate on the go-to-market model, where that means revamping what a customer success story or video looks like, you know, what pricing and packaging, freemium, seed and grow, ABM. Um, there's just always newer and innovative ways to create these assets, to, to build these strategies. And, and I think, you know, that's where, you know, there's so much opportunity, you know, I think it's just the golden age of innovation right now. And so many companies have an opportunity to differentiate and maybe deviate from that, like I said, older, dustier playbook. Mm -hmm. What do you, when you advise in startups, advise in the folks that you work with, what would you, what do you suggest them to stop doing or even to stop thinking about doing? Maybe they're just super early stage from the marketing perspective. Uh, I, I think the biggest one is most companies hire along functional lines. So they build marketing teams, sales teams, product teams. And I think in a B2B SaaS world or just SaaS products in general, your consumer, your user doesn't go into the software and have these discrete separate experiences. They're all in the software, right? So mm -hmm. I think you need to build incentivize teams to work within the software itself. So for instance, like customer success should be working on to have proactive live chat in the product. So when that big customer comes in the first week of using it, they can help them and educate them and see where they're having trouble with. Um, you want to have sales, let people go in there and buy uh, the products themselves without having to talk to a salesperson they want, right? Have them think about like how they can have a high velocity motion, a scene grow. Marketing, you want to have um, personality and brand in the software. So like I, I, a great example I give is like Carta, um, they do equity management. So if you have options mm -hmm. in a startup, it's a good chance you have them on Carta. And when you go into Carta, when you get your first grant, they do a fun little fireworks display. And it's like, hey, congratulations, you got your first grant or congratulations, you're, you know, 100% vested or whatever it is, right? I yeah. mean, that could have easily been written just as, you know, okay, 100% vested, you know, next. <laughs> um, but obviously someone there said, hey, let's add a little moment of delight or a little bit of fun. So I, I guess an answer to your question, biggest thing I'd say is like, hey, marketing, don't just stay top of funnel and beyond. Don't just say website and above, right? Like get into the product, create some delightful moments, use all those conversion rate optimization skills you have to reduce friction, to get people to value quicker, make them smile, make it simpler. Like those are things that you win in SaaS for. You know, this is great. This is great because you are just describing it. And I just reminded of, of a software that I've seen uh, recently. It's an email software and they, they are doing it exactly, exactly like you said, they're doing it in the product. And uh, there's like a list of emails that you have that you want to, maybe they bounced, right? And the, the button actually says, bury them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's and, great. You know, like, I, it's so good. I read it. I'm like, I love it. <laughs> It's such a simple moment of delight, you know, I mean, an easy actionable step, I would say, like, look, if you're in marketing, just go to your analytics team, go, hey, what are our three most used features? And just go in there and work with a product team to make them a little more fun, a little more right. simple, a little more delightful, put an Easter egg in there. That could be a unique editorial tone and voice. That could be maybe some more visual identity, some colors in there. You don't have to redo the entire software, but just find those moments that you can make people laugh and smile. That's so true. So true. Bill, what would be... Uh a book or a resource for marketers or just in, in, in business in general that you keep coming back to, or maybe you have gifted to your friends, your colleagues. So since we're on a podcast, I'm going to stick with the podcast theme here. And I'm actually going to say a fantastic resource. I've listened to a ton and I, I recommend other people is a podcast called manager tools. And all they do is talk about how to be a better manager and a better leader. 
And it literally goes into things like, hey, how to run a one-on-one -on -one better, how to give constructive feedback better, how to set goals better. You know, and, and I've seen at least in Silicon Valley, you know, you see this trend where a lot of people get promoted either very fast or they were great ICs, individual contributors, and now they're a people manager. And it's hard. Like if you mm -hmm. haven't gone to school specifically for that, it's a very different skill set. And I know I, I had to learn to become a better manager and a better leader. And I just thought that was a great resource for me to kind of up-level my skills. Like tons of good content there. For sure. We'll uh, link it in the show notes. Bill, where's everybody can find you online? Uh, just go to LinkedIn. Uh, Bill Mositis, shoot me a note if you ever need help. Um, I'm here. I'm helping other you know, fast-growing startups uh, with their marketing, their, their tech, their org, their strategy. And it's, it's something I love doing. Bill, that was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. It was super fun. Oh, great to be here, Sergey. Really, really enjoyed it. This was another episode of Media Camp with Sergey Ross. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this one. It was so much fun to make as always. You can find all the resources, links, and books and recommendations from the guest in the show notes. You can connect with the guest as well uh, by following those links. You can connect with me on LinkedIn if we are not connected yet, and I'd love to like comment subscribe all those things if you see this episode on linkedin if you see this episode somewhere else online i would really appreciate it thank you so much for listening to media camp i'm out i'll see you in the next one yeah.